My voice is deeper than it's ever been in my whole life. This is what I thought puberty would do. It never did. I um, told my wife I could be in the band uh, Home Free now. Always wanted a spot there. Anyway, uh, so anyway, it feels weird talking. I don't know if it sounds weird to you. Maybe it's just my ears that are messed up too. Uh, but anyway, uh, we're going to be uh, in John chapter 19. So you've got a Bible, you've got a phone, a tablet, something, scroll. Uh, go ahead and open up to John chapter 19, and uh, we'll be there. So while Jesus was hanging upon the cross being crucified, he made seven different statements. Uh, and we've been going through those seven statements, and we're going to be going all the way uh, through Easter doing this. Uh, the first week, uh, we covered the prayer of Jesus when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then uh, in week two, we focused on the words of Jesus when he's speaking to his mother and to the apostle John who are there before him. And he says, uh, woman, behold your son. And, and to John, behold your, your mother. And then last week, we considered what Jesus meant when, uh, when he asked. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and, and so then this week, we are looking at what is just two words specifically. In the Greek, it's one word, um, I thirst. And as usual, though, we won't just read that. For the sake of context and understanding uh, everything around it a little better, we're going to start reading in verse uh, 28 of John chapter 19. So if you've got your, your Bible open, go ahead and follow along as I read. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. Almighty God, that your son would be killed by the hands of sinful men. To make other sinful men and women holy is a mystery too profound for our feeble hearts. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, as we seek to understand these simple words this morning, we ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds, to, to give us a, a less blurry, a more in-focus image of our, our Savior, Jesus. Uh, it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen. So every year as, as football season begins, our family gets real excited about it. Uh, and full disclosure, we're not football fans at all. Um, we get excited because that means that tailgates are going to be happening uh, at that time of year. And, uh, you know, we'd never actually been to a tailgate till we moved to Manhattan. And, and yet, uh, you know, we've had some friends that have graciously invited us to their tailgates. And uh, God, in his great providence, put us next to these neighbors of ours who put on what is uh, got to be the biggest tailgate in all of all of Kansas, and, and I really mean that. You know, uh, uh, our, our neighbors Ron and Stacy, they have these these friends that do it with them. And this tailgate is it, it's enormous. They have seven of these tents, not little tents, but huge tents uh, that they put together until it makes this building-like thing out there. They have this big screen TV in there with a satellite dish, uh, so they can watch the SEC and see some real football. Just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, but they have all these other things. They've got a snow cone machine. Uh, one of the guys wanted to buy this enormous $5,000 inflatable tent, but uh, his wife traded him a, snow, uh, a cotton candy machine instead for it. So next year they're going to have that. Uh, and, and this year, one time we go there, and they have lobster on the menu. Uh, lobster on a tailgate menu. It's free. Uh, it's kind of insane. So, uh, you know, we, we look at these neighbors, though, and we think that... Uh, 
They certainly make God's command to love thy neighbors very, very easy. Um, but really, though, this, this tailgate that they do is open to everyone. And I, I say it at this point just so you know. If you want to go to it next year, just let us know. We'll give you directions. And uh, a few of you have already been there, I know, because uh, I've seen your name written on something. But uh, you're welcome to, to come to that as well. So you might be thinking at this point, though, uh, what's this have to do with this passage? Right? Jesus wasn't tailgating. Uh, I don't see the connection at all. And, and, and you're right, he wasn't tailgating, not at all. I, I mention it because uh, when we go on these trips, we'd usually ride our bikes. Uh, that's what we do as a family. And, and at the beginning of the year, it's August, it's September, it's still incredibly hot. And we hear this chorus from all three of our children on this ride. Uh, what do you think it is? I'm thirsty. That's right. Um, I say it inside my head, but they, they say it out loud. They're, they're like the Israelites, right, that are complaining to Moses three days after he split the Red Sea and delivered him from Israel. You know, look at this amazing stuff. And, and yet three days later, they're, they're saying to him, we're thirsty. Um, and the truth is, I expect every one of us on some hot day after a lot of sweating uh, understand that we've expressed the same idea that I need something to drink to quench my thirst. I am thirsty. And so the, the first observation here might be, well, this statement of Jesus is not real profound, is it? Um, what do we make of this? And, and we're going to see a, a bit more. It is much more profound than we initially might think. See, um, let me put it this way to start with, though. Uh, throughout history, people have struggled to make sense out of, out of Jesus. They've struggled on, on one of two sides. They either struggle to understand the divinity of Jesus, that, that Jesus is God, or they've struggled to understand the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus is man, like really, truly man, human. And, and all throughout the New Testament, we get these beautiful images uh, of Jesus and his, his divine power, right? Um, as the incarnate man living in Israel, Jesus spoke with this divine wisdom. Uh, he was perfectly holy in everything he did. He, he was able to read people's minds. He was able to move people to actions, right? He was, uh, just by mere words, he was able to uh, really control the weather. The weather actually obeyed him. He healed disease. He gave sight to the blind. He, he turned water into wine. He, he raised the dead man, Lazarus, back from the grave. We're seeing all these things that are his divine powers. And so Jesus is, is truly... God manifested in the flesh, and, 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 and yet at some times I think we can forget that indeed he is a man, truly a man. And this passage helps us see his humanity. We see here that uh, his body is parched. He needs hydration. He actually needs it. And so, uh, you know, the obvious aspect of this passage is that Jesus is, is clearly human with this clearly physical need of his. It's been many hours since he's had anything to drink. He's uh, been through a, a trial. He's had to carry his cross most of the way to Golgotha. And, and now he hangs in this hot sun. Simply put, he, he's thirsty. And so that's the end of the sermon. Jesus was thirsty. I'll see you next week. Uh, you know that's not true. You might wish that was true. That would be the shortest sermon ever. But uh, it's not true. And you know that there's a lot more here. Uh, so let's, let's look a little further. First of all, do you understand that, that Jesus does not have to remain on the cross? He, he could have used these divine attributes at any moment to be, I'm done, I'm off the cross, I'm, I'm through with this. You know, in John 10, 18, uh, Jesus is speaking and he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. He's talking about his life. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. 
this charge I have received from my father. And so he could take it up. He's, he's committed to the will of God here, though. In, in Luke twenty two forty two, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus is there. You remember this. He's praying, and he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He's absolutely committed to the will of his Father. And it's important that we know that, uh, that, that this, right? That not only could Jesus have come down from the cross at any moment, he could have alleviated this, this need of his in this moment any, any way he wanted to. Remember, the weather is absolutely under his control. He could make it just rain down water for himself right then. We're, we're talking about Jesus, though, right? God. He could have also just made it rain down Gatorade on him long before it was ever invented. No one would know what it is, uh, but he could have, right? The thirst quencher. Um, he, he could have. But he doesn't. He, he follows the will of his Father. Did, and, and here's an interesting thing. Did, did you know that Jesus never performs a single miracle for his own benefit? Never. In fact, when the devil tempts him in the wilderness, he's tempting him to perform these miracles for his own benefit. But he never does it. He does it for the glory of his Father. He does it for others. And, 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 and you know, he, he doesn't just fulfill his, his need for thirst here. Um... But he says this, right? I, I'm thirsty in order to fulfill a prophecy, an ancient prophecy. And in Psalm 69, it's written by King David. Sometimes we get confused by these psalms because uh, David is writing about his own problems and his own life. He's, he's writing to this specific time. Um, and yet at the same time, the Jewish people understood this. Uh, they understood it to also be a prophecy about the Messiah and that God was going to send for them eventually. And in verse 21 of Psalm 69, we read, For my thirst... <clears throat> they gave me sour wine to drink. And in these last moments, that actually becomes true. Now, I understand it. You know, skeptics are going to say, yeah, but he kind of made it come true, right? He, he asked for it, uh, and they gave it to him. And, and, and sure, that's the way we see it happen. But, but, you know, imagine the fact that the wine happens to be there. Uh, the soldiers actually hear what he's saying to them, and they decide they're going to give him uh, a drink in this moment of wine. The prophecy is absolutely fulfilled in that moment. And, and yet, you know, d despite all the intensity of the physical thirst and the fulfillment of the prophecy, I am convinced by the whole of scriptures that in these two words of Jesus, that he is showing us something more significant than even that prophecy being fulfilled. You see, Jesus is drawing our attention to, to spiritual thirst. And this is not one of those change of directions because you don't know how to fill up the rest of the sermon. I mean, it really is something we can see in Scripture that that's what he's talking about. Uh, you see, in the Gospel of John, uh, the word thirst, throws up, or thirst shows up six times total. Uh, we've just read one of them, so there's five other instances of it. And every other instance is clearly speaking about spiritual thirst. This one is too. See, the, the word thirsty is, uh, is used three times in that conversation that Jesus has with the woman at the well. Uh, it's in John chapter 4. You see, uh, Jesus shows up and at the well, and, and he asks her for a drink. But, but then later, despite the fact that he has no bucket, he has no water, he has no liquid of all to offer her, he tells her that I can give you a drink. And, and after a bit more conversation, Jesus says to her, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's spiritual. We, we see this word thirst again in, in John 6, 35, when, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall no longer hunger, 
And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's a spiritual thirst again. And then again, the last time we see the word thirst is uh, John 7, 37 through 39, where Jesus says this, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then in the, the next verse, you know, just, just in case we're not sure what he really means by that, uh, John, the apostle who's writing this book, gives this description. He clarifies. He says, now this he said about the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual thirst that he has in mind. And, and so then when, when I say spiritual thirst, do you, do you really understand what I mean? Because that can kind of be a, a vague comment. And, and so I want us to make sure we understand this. And, and our physical thirst, you know, the fact that God made us have a physical thirst is, is really this living illustration in our life to understand what he's talking about. Um, because just like a physical thirst is a desire, a, a craving for a drink of water, so a spiritual thirst is a desire, a craving for God, for that closeness to God. We, we see this in the, the Psalms. The psalmists speak of this often. And uh, Psalm 63, 1 says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And again, in Psalm 42, 2, my, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. It's making me thirsty. <clears throat> Actually, it's just for my throat. Um... Then in Psalm 143, 6, he, he says this. The psalmist says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. We're seeing this over and over again. And it, this really ought to raise a question for us, though. Because, you know, isn't Jesus closer to God the Father than any other human on the planet? Any other person? Any other man, woman, or child who's ever existed? then why in the world is Jesus spiritually thirsty? Why say that? Well, you remember last week, right? Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, you see, Jesus' relationship with the Father, with, with God, is, is what refreshed him. That relationship is, is what sustained Jesus in every day of his entire life. And yet, here in the forsakenness of the cross, that sustaining, sustaining and refreshing relationship uh, is for a time not there for Jesus. And so his soul thirsts for God in, in this moment in a way that Jesus has never, ever, ever experienced for all of eternity. And so we might, we might say, you know, that, that Jesus drinking the cup of wrath uh, made him thirsty. Um, a lot of ways here. Uh, I, I have this app on my phone that, that will log hydration for me. Well, it won't do it for me. I have to do it. Uh, it's got an option for just about anything you can possibly drink on there. There's, there's something called uh, chicory. I don't know what chicory is, but apparently people drink it. Uh, anyway, you, you start to log in there, and water is exactly what you think. Eight ounces of water counts as eight ounces of hydration. Um, but some things on this list actually are negative. You drink them, and you have to now drink more water. You've, you've gone backwards in, in, in hydration world, right? Uh, beer and wine and whiskey, predictably so, are all uh, negatives. And so as far as hydration goes, um, you don't drink those things if you're trying to quench your thirst. Uh, there are, uh, you know, if you don't believe me, there are a bunch of people who celebrated St. Patty's Day yesterday who can confirm this for you. Um, and so you might imagine then 
If there were an app for logging our spiritual hydration or anyone's spiritual hydration, that, that drinking the cup of God's wrath, right? Um, that's quite a negative on the scale. Quite a, quite a negative. Which, which tells us that, you know, that Jesus understands, and this is important, we always wonder, you know, how much does Jesus really understand the way we, we live our lives, the way we, we function? And, and Jesus understands in this moment the spiritual thirst that all men and, and women experience in our natural-born state. He actually understands it. And Jesus in this moment longs for the relationship, he longs for the closeness, for the joy of fellowship that he had with his Father when he was holy and pure in the eyes of the Father, when, when he wasn't carrying my sins and your sins on the cross, right? When he wasn't being viewed through the eyes of God in that moment like that. Now, you and I and all seven billion souls on the planet today, we also understand what, it, what it's like to thirst for God. A lot of people don't realize that's what they're thirsty for. Uh, they don't understand what they need, but they, they, they're seeking something. They're after something. They, you know, a lot of us maybe understand it only in the, in the past tense because our, our, our thirst has been quenched in the gospel. But everyone is born spiritually parched. Let, let, me, let me show you what this looks like uh, uh, with a passage from Jeremiah 2. It's a, it's a very famous passage, but uh, um, in, in Jeremiah 2, God is pointing out to Israel, to his, his chosen people, the way that they have forsaken him, the way that they have, they have walked away from him. And in Jeremiah 2.13, God says, My people <clears throat> have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, when God says fountain here, don't picture uh, a pretty thing in a garden, right? He's talking about uh, a spring. What, what would have been in this culture, just an endless supply of, of, of fresh water that to to, could be drank. Uh, and when he says cistern, we don't really use that word. A cistern was a, a very large stone bowl-like structure that was used to collect rainwater or, or water from other sources that could be used for, for later. Um, and he's saying these are, these are broken cisterns. You, you ever tried to fill a bucket up that had a hole in it? And you, you kind of, oh, it has a hole. And then you take on the challenge, I can do this. If I go fast enough, if I, if I work hard enough, maybe I can fill it up. And, and, and before too long, I mean, the younger you are, the more likely you are to try this. But at some point, you realize it's never going to work because this is always going to leak out the water. And, and that's what God's talking about here. God's point is you, you won't be satisfied be, because... You've left this spring of endless good water and, and you've replaced it. The only thing you can replace it with is this broken cistern that cannot hold the water that you so desperately need. And you see, Jesus alone can satisfy our thirst, but that hasn't stopped us from trying to satisfy our souls in so many other ways. Um, too often we, we seek life in so many things that cannot give life. We, we seek identity in things that can never, ever satisfy our souls. You see, the, the question we've got to ask ourselves here is, is something along the lines of this, you know, where besides God am I looking for meaning, for refreshment? In other words, what are you giving yourselves to in the hopes that it will satisfy your thirsty soul? Well, let me suggest a few things, a few common areas, and, I, and I'm doing this in the hope that you're going you're gonna to listen to us and say, yeah, that's, that's me. That's, that's where I'm looking, too. 
And, and, and then, you know, better understand that, you know, that's a broken cistern I've been looking to to fulfill my, my needs. That's, that's a bucket with a big hole in it. And, and the hope is, you know, that, that, that once we know that these are broken cisterns and once we know what they can't do, my, my prayer is that we'll, we'll either turn to the Lord or we'll turn back to the Lord in, in, in ways that maybe we haven't been. Um, back to the spring of, of living waters. Uh, first of all, we, we look to relationships. Um, you know, how many hearts, and this might be too old for some of you, but how many, you know, hearts sighed when they, when they watched Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire tell, you know, Renee Zellweger, you complete me, right? As if those were the only words you ever wanted to hear in your life, that you complete me. They're not true words. There's no way he can complete them. I mean, that's, but that's the way we, we feel sometimes. You know, there, there's some in this room that believe that, that if they had love and, or a marriage, that that would satisfy their, their deepest, longing, deepest longings. Marriage is wonderful. It, it's good to seek marriage, but it won't quench the thir- for thirst you have because it can't quench the thirst you have. Uh, the same is true for having children. A child will not satisfy your soul's deepest yearning. Um, it'll rob you of a lot of sleep, but will not satisfy your deepest yearning. Uh, others seek out uh, fulfillment and sexual pleasure. After all, our, our culture has given us uh, this hope, albeit false hope, but this hope that there is some, some meaning and purpose to life to be found there. Uh, maybe it's, uh, you know, some chemical escape, drugs or drunkenness. It, it might be this, this endless pursuit of new experiences or, or new foods. Or uh, for some, the thought of being thought attractive or important by others is, is the dead-end road that we travel down in the, in the hopes of, of quenching thirst. It, it might be parenting, right? That, you know, uh, looking to your child's success and, okay, I, I've, I'm fulfilled in life. It, it won't work that way, though. Uh, maybe it's something competitive. I, uh, you know, a lot of people, it's just winning something, whether it's sports or business or academics, uh, just competitive. You know, this idea that if, if only I can be the best in the world, or at least the best in my little pawn, um, then, then my soul will be satisfied. It, it, it might just be that we, we need a little more income. It might, uh, you know, be knowledge, whether we're talking philosophical or scientific or whatever topic you want to learn about. But, but there's this idea that we're always in pursuit of something new, something novel, something to simply entertain us. And yet there is this aching void in, in the soul of men and women, and deep down we know that we are searching to fill that. We are searching to fix that ourselves. And what's amazing is this is true of the wealthy and the poor and everyone in between. It is, it is true of the intelligent and the ignorant, you know. Uh, they might search in different places for this, but they're both searching. And so many of these are good things, right? I've not just listed off a whole series of sin. It, it's okay to want most of these things, but you've got to know they're not going to satisfy your soul. Just like... It's okay for your body to have a glass of wine, but you've got to know that it will not and cannot quench the thirst that your body actually needs. It wasn't designed for that. And so again, John 4.14, Jesus said, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. You know, it's not whoever drank, but drinks. It's, it's ongoing. If, if, if you're thinking, though, at this moment, as uh, I, I think some of us are prone to think when we, when we read passages like this, you know, um, I know the Lord. I believe the gospel. I've been walking with him for years, but, 
you know, if I'm honest, I, I often feel thirsty still. And I'll, I'll include myself in this at times. Uh, you know, perhaps we're not drinking of the Lord as, as fully as we can. Perhaps we're, we're drinking too deeply of these other things that, uh, that are negatives in some regard. I mean, practically speaking, what I mean is we don't always run to the truth of the gospel when we need comfort. We, we know the truth, right? If you want me to write it down, I can explain the gospel to you. But it's not the first place we run to. When, you know, when we feel depression seeping into our souls, we, we go and we binge-watch Netflix or, or we pour ourselves a, a fine glass of whiskey, right? Anywhere but to Jesus. And that's true of Christians as well. Even as, as Christians, we're so prone to, think, to drink from things that simply will not quench our true thirst. Um, we're like that sweaty 10-year-old who feels thirsty, who knows that water is what she needs to satisfy her thirst, and, and yet she chooses that can of Pepsi simply because it's going to taste better. That's what she thinks she wants. See, see, we learn here, though, in this passage, and in all of Scripture, really, that, that Jesus endured the pain of the cross, the soul-parching agony of the cross. Um, you know, in fact, he endured his own spiritual thirst for the Father so that, so that our own soul-aching thirst that you and I have can be quenched in the gospel. That in our union with Christ, by grace through faith, we, we can find that closeness with the Lord. We can quench that, that thirst that we deeply have. So there's a, a little detail in this passage that I, I think is real powerful. I wanted to point out to you. It's, a, it's not in the section with just those two words. It's right after that. Um, but we read it earlier. You might notice that um, how the soldiers give him a drink, right? They didn't just hold up a straw or something like that. Uh, they used a hyssop branch, which is uh, with some sort of sponge on the end of it that would have been soaked in the wine and, and would press it against his lips. And uh, you see, hyssop is this weed-looking-like plant, a uh, shrub, uh, shrubbery. Uh, and it has this lots of small little branches on it. And hyssop here is this reference to this ceremonial cleaning. And an animal would be sacrificed, right? The sacrifices were, were nasty things. We don't tend to think of the details. But an animal's killed, and there's blood that's been poured out in this place. And, uh, and a priest would take this, this branch thing and smear it into the, the blood. And then they would fling it on people or things or whatever it might be. And, and the idea was that uh, this would make someone or something ritually clean. I already said that, didn't I? Um, but it was used during Passover. I don't know if you realize, not the Passover meal, but the actual Passover when it happened. When, when the Israelites, according to God's instruction, were told to kill the Passover lamb, and God tells them in Exodus 12, 22, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the, the, the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. So they dip it in there, and then they're smearing it on their doorposts. Uh, the result was that the angel of death would pass by that particular house and the life of the firstborn son inside that house uh, would be preserved. It provided life instead of death. That's what the sacrifice is doing. God provides a means of deliverance for his chosen people, and that's also what he's doing for us on the cross. That's the picture there of that hyssop. He, he gives life when there should be death. And so just one more thing, and then we'll be done today. Um, Jesus tells us in John 7, 38, uh, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Christians, do you, do you know how living 
how water left, how living waters flow out of your heart to others. Do, do you know? I mean, do you, do you think about that role that God does? We, we live in a dry and weary land. That's the culture we are in. That's the culture across many other nations that you might be from. And, and there are people all around us who are thirsty, so very thirsty, and looking in one broken cistern after another broken cistern uh, in, in, this, in this hope of finding some real satisfaction. Many of you might remember that still being where you were in life at some point. And, and Jesus is the source of the river, but we are to be uh, a river of refreshing water to others, to our communities, to our homes, to our families, our jobs, our classrooms, wherever we might be, you know. He, he can show them, rather, we can show them where to find the soul-quenching goodness that we call the gospel. We, we can show others that in Christ uh, there is an oasis where they too may come to and drink freely and drink fully and be satisfied in their souls. Our lives can be a, a, a river of living water for others. It flows through us, and, and we can point them upstream, right? Up to, up to the source of, of these living waters, up to, to Christ our Savior. So that they, like we, can find what we really need. And that being the forgiveness of sin and the refreshment that comes through this relationship with our triune God. So let us drink deeply of the, the hope that Jesus gives only there will we find satisfaction and may the gospel flow out of us in, in words and in actions and joy and, and in hope to others. That's, that's our prayer from this. And so as Jesus expresses his thirst in this moment of, of, of forsakenness from the Father, we, we can understand that because we're, we're born as, as enemies of the Lord. But but in the gospel, we are brought close to him. We are, we are made children in the house of the Lord. We find fulfillment for our souls. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, may these words go with us this week. Might that we drink more deeply from your spring than ever before. Would you teach us what it means to enjoy the world you created, truly enjoy it as a good gift from you, and yet to remain faithful in our worship of you alone. Yes, Lord, satisfy us with your steadfast love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.